Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 27 of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. Well, here we are. There are only four games left in the season at the time of recording this episode. And, for the most part, the playoffs are just about figured out. In the National League, the Giants, Brewers, and Braves have either already clinched the division, or will in the next day or two, and the National League wildcard will be played between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the St. Louis Cardinals. On the path to the second wildcard spot, the Cardinals won 17 straight ball games, the most in Major League history since the Indians won 22 games in a row in 2017. So, in other words, talk about a team getting hot at the right time. Now, another team that is also getting hot at the right time, on the American League side that is, is the Seattle Mariners, who, as of right now, are just a half game back on the Boston Red Sox for the second wildcard spot. Otherwise, the Yankees have a lead of a game in the first wildcard spot, but it's still going to be a pretty scary next couple of games for them, as the Toronto Blue Jays are also just a game out of the wildcard as well. The AL wildcard is literally coming down to the wire. The Red Sox have one last game in Baltimore before playing the Washington Nationals in three games. The Yankees have one more game against the Blue Jays before playing three against the Rays, which, let's be honest, will be the ultimate test for them. The Mariners have three games against the Angels, and the Blue Jays play the Orioles three times after that final game with the Yankees. So, in other words, a lot could happen in the next couple of days. Otherwise, the AL division leaders are just about all locked up as well, with the Rays claiming the number one overall seed, along with the Chicago White Sox and the Houston Astros. Now, I do have to say, I think that this is going to be a very exciting playoffs, really just in general, but the last few days of the season are just going to add so much more excitement to the entire thing. Anyway, in last week's episode, we talked about the real origins of baseball. Well, at least the story that we've discovered up to this point. After debunking some of the myths that are out there and surfacing much more recent evidence, we found that baseball may not have come from just one place at one time, but more than likely from a few different variations around the United States, with a bit of influence coming through in all of those cases. Now, it's a hard question to tackle and could take an entire lifetime's worth of research and investigation for that matter to truly figure out the actual accurate origins of the game of baseball. So instead, we're just going to move on to the next thing. <laughs> so in this week's episode, I want to talk about stadiums. Yes, the present-day coliseums the field of play, the best-kept grass you'll ever see. But, more specifically, I want to talk about old stadiums. Stadiums that have now either been torn down for something newer, or are being used for something else while the team relocates somewhere else. So today, we're going to talk about these classic baseball stadiums. In the history of the MLB, there have been around 160-ish different baseball parks 
that have housed MLB teams since the start of the major leagues. A lot of the stadiums in this list were only used for a few years, maybe one or two, as teams kind of moved around and changed names and whatnot. But I think one of the bigger things that honestly happened a lot was the owners of the fields would decide to demolish it after a season, maybe two seasons, and repurpose the space into something else, as still, in a lot of these cases, America was still growing. But in today's episode, we're going to talk about a few that have stood the test of time and embedded themselves deep into the memories of fans and the history books for some time to come. First, let's talk about one of my personal favorite parks, known as the Polo Grounds. Now, before I start this, know that before 1958, ballparks weren't restricted to dimensions as well as they are now. There were no rules saying that left field and right field had to be at least a certain distance, and that's definitely the case for the Polo Grounds. You see, there were four iterations of the Polo Grounds where the New York Giants, uh, not the football team by the way, but the baseball team New York Giants, played. The first three were fairly normal with fairly normal dimensions. However, when the third iteration of the Polo Grounds burnt down, a new, very different Polo Grounds rose. Now, this one used a lot of the surviving wooden bleachers and much of the steel structure as the first, since the fire didn't burn down the entire stadium, but, you know, since the season was just getting underway by the time that the fire happened, construction continued to take place all throughout the season and much of the time during baseball games. Once a second deck was added to the field, it was given a new nickname, The Bathtub. <laughs> which is a really good nickname. Now, if you think about a bathtub, it's not really shaped much like a baseball field, is it? And that's kind of why this stadium was so weird. You see, the left field wall sat 279 feet from home plate, while the right field wall sat just 258 feet from home plate. Now, for context, with the institution of this 1958 field dimension rules, the minimum allowed distance for the left and right field walls was set at 325 feet. Now, that's quite a bit further than what the polo grounds had as their walls. Center field formed more of a rectangle than it was a diamond, as the wall went straight into the outfield until it reached 450 feet from home plate in I guess what you could say was like the back left center field <laughs> and then 449 feet in the back right center field. Straightaway center field extended even further than that as it contained another little bump out where the scoreboard was placed. Therefore, straightaway center field was at 483 feet. Now, there have only been a handful of 500 foot home runs in the entire history of baseball. So hitting one out that far was quite a challenge as you can imagine. The stadium is so important to the history of baseball, however, as in it's the stadium that had two of the biggest plays in the history of baseball. Firstly, have you ever seen the famous photo 
or I guess the video of Willie Mays making that spectacular over-the-shoulder catch right in front of the batter's eye in the World Series? That was at the Polo Grounds. You see, any other stadium, and that ball probably would have been gone, but since the dimensions of the Polo Grounds were so big, Mays caught up to it. And honestly, it's pretty impressive that he even caught up to it in the first place. And what about, well, not the actual shot heard around the world, but but the baseball version of the shot heard around the world, which was a walk-off home run that won the National League pennant for the Giants as they defeated the Brooklyn Dodgers. Well, that also happened at the Polo Grounds, right over that left field fence, so it was a line drive home run. The next one that I want to talk about deals with the fact that oftentimes before land became more available and there was more funding, MLB teams would have to share the field with NFL teams. For example, the Broncos and the Rockies had to share Mile High Stadium before Coors Field was built. The Seattle Seahawks and the Seattle Mariners shared the Kingdom, which was also home to the Seattle Supersonics until 1985. And even more recently than that, the Oakland Athletics shared the Oakland Coliseum with the now Las Vegas Raiders all the way up until 2016. There's actually been 25 different fields that were all used for this reason in the history of the MLB slash NFL. But I want to talk about the Metrodome. Now, the Metrodome was actually around for a good amount of time as it was demolished just in 2014. The entire idea behind the construction of this stadium came from the need for more seats for the Minnesota Vikings, the football team, and a roof to protect the Twins and the Vikings from the harsh Minnesota weather. And honestly, that's one of the coolest parts about the stadium, is that it had a roof. And it's actually really funny looking at the stadium as it had a fully turf infield with little kind of dirt islands, I guess you could say, that contained the four bases and the pitching mound all at their respective spots. Now, I'm not entirely sure, but just looking at pictures, it kind of seemed like these dirt islands that contained the bases could actually be lifted out of the ground, giving the Vikings a full-sized unobstructed field. Now, one of the biggest challenges with this stadium was trying to figure out how a rectangular field could fit inside of a diamond. Fazler Rahman Khan, the main architect for the project, had a pretty good solution. You see, the stadium had a huge set of fold-out bleachers in right field that would leak into the outfield uh, to give more seating capacity. That meant, however, that When there was a baseball game going on, the entire right field fence was just a huge wall of seats. A a blue monster, if you will. Now, for this reason, no fans could sit out in right field, unless they went up to the second deck, which sat right above the huge blue wall of seats. Because of this, however, the right field wall sat just 327 feet from home plate, but it kind of swung out towards center field more to meet center field at about 408 feet oh and do you remember when i said that it had a roof well at one point in december of 2010 it actually collapsed (laughs) due to the weight of the snow that had come from a day-long snowstorm before it 
they did end up rebuilding it before they tore it down, but still, it's kind of crazy. Now, the final stadium that I want to talk about is called Griffith Stadium. Now, this stadium is another kind of weird one, as the field dimensions are really just all over the place. The former home of the Washington Senators, who, by the way, are now the Twins, had an outfield fence much like the one in the new Globe Life Park. Again, all over the place. It had six different distances from home plate, with no smooth lines or smooth connections anywhere. The right field fence started at 320 feet, right next to the foul pole. As you move towards center field, the wall was pushed out to 373 feet, before then meeting another wall that would be where the bullpen was for one of the two teams. Then from the bullpen sat another section that again crouched into the field, and then at the corner of these two, I guess, sections that are encroaching the outfield was a 438-foot fence. <laughs> Moving into left field, or I guess more left center field, the wall was at 421 feet before taking a huge cut back into the infield, or the outfield rather, at 391 feet. But by the time that you reach the left field foul pole, the wall was pushed back 405 feet to left field. So it was kind of formed as like a really weird triangle in left field. Not only that, but if you were a righty and you pulled the ball, well, (laughs) good luck getting one out in left field. The entire wall in right field actually was 30 feet above the field, making sure that really no balls ever left. And that's why the stadium is so crazy. I mean, very few home runs were ever hit at this stadium, since you either had to hit it more than 30 feet in the air after the ball had already traveled 370 plus feet, or you had to pull it so hard that it went over 400 feet in any direction to hopefully get it to leave. So, needless to say, yeah, no, not too many home runs were hit here. However, to some sluggers, like Josh Gibson, Mickey Mantle, Harmon Killebrew, Larry Dobb, and Babe Ruth, the kind of outlandish dimensions of the field were no match. Apparently, there were only three reported instances of a player hitting a home run over the left field bleachers, some 500 feet or so. Mickey Mantle did it once, and Josh Gibson did it twice. Babe Ruth and Larry Dobby each had home runs that went well over the 500-foot mark at this stadium. And I feel like learning about this and doing research about this stadium really puts into perspective how incredible of hitters these guys really were. I mean, they could have played on a 500-foot field and still found a way to get it out of the stadium. Now, I'm really only scratching the surface of these old classic stadiums, and the history behind each one of these stadiums mentioned here and beyond is honestly limitless. But... I think that these are some of the more weird ones. So next week's episode, we're going to talk about some of the most controversial baseball games ever played. You see, there are a lot of well-fought baseball games in the history of the major leagues, but occasionally there's a game that was so bad that it cements itself in the history books, really for all the wrong reasons. We'll talk about bad calls, bad plays, and the 
unlikeliest and unluckiest moments to ever happen in the major leagues. It's going to be a pretty fun one. But until then, thank you for listening.